Hello and welcome to Get Flushed, the sanitation podcast. My name's Pete and I'll be your host. While COVID has really turned the screws on many parts of the global economy, the 2020 financial year is proving to be one of the busiest and best for portable restroom operators. Demand for restrooms and handwash stations has been unbelievably high and it's not showing any signs of slowing down. As well as demand for more and more units, operators are also seeing calls for more and more regular cleaning. While that has seen many operators increase their revenue, high demand brings other challenges that need some careful consideration. In this episode, I'd like to work through some of those issues and think about the strategies and tactics that PROs can adopt and adapt in a post-COVID world. In a while, I'll be joined by Curtis Ingalls from Crapper King, a toilet brokerage service that helps restroom operators buy and sell equipment in the United States. But for now, I'd like to talk about workload and utilisation. Before COVID, many PROs had a buffer or margin that they held in reserve, both in terms of their workload and their utilisation. Workload is governed by time, the minutes and hours that you're able to use to complete your routine work and respond to any unexpected emergencies or late demand. Utilisation is the term used to describe the percentage of toilets that are out on hire, on site at any given time. The number of services or cleans that a driver can perform in an 8 or 10 hour day depends on a lot of variable factors. I spoke about that in some depth way back in Season 1, Episode 11, Counting Numbers. But in my experience, 30 services a day is plenty when you include travel time between calls and a trip to the wastewater treatment plant to discharge at the end of the day. Let's imagine that you have one truck and a fleet of 200 toilets. Of those, 150 are out on site and they're on a weekly clean. That means your driver needs to complete 150 services every week to keep to schedule. Now imagine that if, because of COVID, all of your customers asked you to perform two cleans a week instead of just one. Your driver would now need to complete 300 services and that would be a big workload by anyone's standards. Because you have 150 toilets on site and 50 in your yard, the utilisation rate would be 75%. If high demand meant that you put 190 on site and had only 10 in the yard, that utilisation rate would increase to 95%. And on a weekly cleaning regime, your workload would raise from 150 to 190, and if the customers went to twice weekly, that would go up to 380. Now with high utilisation and high workload, both the driver and the truck are likely to be working at, near or even beyond maximum capacity. An experience suggests that when people and equipment are maxed out, the risk of sickness and breakdowns and equipment failure also increases. And if you don't have a backup, that could really leave you holding the can. With COVID, many operators are reporting empty yards. Every last toilet they own is out on hire. Operators that have event fleets held in reserve for summer events have deployed those to meet regular demand for on-site restrooms. Now in normal times, the response would be to buy more toilets and more trucks and recruit more staff. Usually those decisions would be made in careful consultation with your accountant to make sure that the return justify the investment and risk. And in normal times, you'd probably be able to go out and buy what you needed pretty much off the shelf. But the new normal has changed. Let's start with staffing. Lots of operators are finding it increasingly difficult to recruit and train staff. That's always been a challenge in the restroom industry because it's not necessarily seen as an attractive career choice. Many people just struggle with the idea of dealing with human waste. But since COVID, finding and retaining staff appears to be a much harder challenge. 
Some analysts have blamed stimulus payments or wage subsidies and claim that some people prefer not to actively seek employment because they're being paid by the state. And even if you do find the ideal candidate, there's usually a lag between the time you make them an offer of employment and the time they start work. Once you put them through onboarding and training, it could be two or three months, maybe even longer, before they start to make a valuable contribution to performance. When we look at equipment and supplies, lots of restroom operators are reporting shortages and delays. Many manufacturers have used their stock on hand. Covid shutdowns, weather delays, plastic shortages, freight delays, they've all had a knock-on effect. I'll compare that effect to driving in a three or four lane highway in peak traffic. Imagine you're driving along following the car in front, the sun's shining and there's good music on the radio. attention drifts just for a second. When you look back up at the road, you're a little closer to the car in front than you were before, so you tap your brakes. Just slightly, not even for a second. The driver behind you sees brake lights and they react by braking a little harder. So does the car behind them, and all the way back until cars a mile down the road or so come to a complete stop. I used to see that happen countless times on every journey on my commute to work around the M25 in London. And I think the same thing is happening now with the global supply chain. A one-week shutdown leads to a two-week delay for raw materials, which delays production by a month. You miss the original date you booked with your freight provider, and they're super busy, so they can't fit you in for at least another two weeks. And if you're shipping internationally, extra delays at the airport or wharf means that your shipment won't arrive at its destination until three or four months later than planned. That's a very naive and simple explanation, but it's happening to one extent all over the world. The just-in-time supply chain strategy, pioneered by Toyota in the 1960s and adopted pretty much globally over the past 50 years, has been found wanting. And that was predicted by industry experts last year, even before Covid started to bite proper. Talking to the Harvard Business Review in July 2020, Bill Dreiger, head of operations for Uber Freight, commented that The reality is that transport technology and the limitation of traditional supply chain practices are no longer enough to keep pace with the market. It's not just the restroom industry, this is affecting us all. So what can a PRO do to protect themselves against the ongoing pressures of a strangulated supply chain? Well, the first thing would be to plan ahead. Order now for 2022. And think bigger. If you originally planned to buy 100 units, order 200. Spread your risk. Talk to regular suppliers first, but look to others as well. You have more chance of catching a fish if you put four hooks on the line than you do with just one. Of course, using a new supplier might mean that you have to change the make and model of the toilets you use. If you've always struck with one particular colour or type, that might require a rethink or change of strategy. While many customers won't notice if you have two or three different makes or models of restroom in your fleet, synergy and branding is really important to many PROs. But having a varied fleet might actually work in your favour. Some models are more suitable to some applications than others. Formit toilets in Australia, for example, have a heavy base which means they're unlikely to blow over in high winds and they come pre-fitted with certified lifting points which makes them suitable for use on high-rise construction. Polyjohn fleet models have a much larger cabin that makes them more suitable to sites where user comfort is more important. Of course, there are no guarantees that you can source the models you want but widening your scope might just increase your ability to land new stock. If you traditionally provided plastic portable toilets, now would be the time to think about expanding your fleet to include additional products like trailers, static restroom cubicles or even Sanitrex modules. Offering more than plastic toilets gives you great flexibility. 
and it increases the likelihood that you'll meet demand. It's the same with trucks. If you've always used slide-in models or skid-mounted trucks, now's the time to look at other options, second-hand or new. And if you can't supply more units, why not offer twice-weekly service? That's as good as doubling your fleet. And if you run out of hours, why not run a second shift or work weekends? Looking for strategic partners and allies is a strategy I'll always recommend. Even in a small town, there's usually enough work to support more than one PRO. Rather than trying to compete on price, work with your neighbours, help them and have them help you in return. That might sound counterintuitive, but you might just be glad of a sub-hire when demand is high and all your stock is gone. Of course, you could always sell up. There's never been a better time to exit the industry than now. Plenty of investors are looking at the restroom industry and they see it as an attractive proposition, either as new entrants or for mergers and acquisitions. You might find you get a good price. One person who knows the market better than most is Curtis Ingalls from Crapper King. He joined me in the sanitation conversation on Clubhouse this week. You'll also hear a couple of other voices from guests in the Clubhouse room. There's Dave, Justin and Josh. Curtis Ingalls with Crapper King and I uh, buy and sell all new and used equipment. So is Crapper King like a wholesale broker then, Curtis? I'm a broker and I'm a mentor. So my goal is to help new businesses get started. And many of them have capital issues. So I work with financing companies, getting them started on with used equipment so that they can then establish themselves, build a record that they can then get traditional financing with their banks to continue to grow. And really, I find folks like you that have been in the business for a long time are the best advocates you could have. Because again, you guys know everyone, kind of like Wendy at Service Corps. Wendy knows everybody in the business. Very helpful. Really good to connect to the right people and, and point them in the direction. Again, I'm just trying to solve problems. I've got stock in a couple of different places. I have it in, in uh, Massachusetts. I've got it in Oklahoma and I've got it here in Colorado. My goal is always to stock uh, in multiple places so that I reduce transportation costs as much as possible. My biggest area that I'm struggling with is the West Coast. So if anybody hears of anything available on the West Coast, I definitely need units out there. It's funny, I'm getting my best referrals from the territory managers for the individual Polyjohn, Polyportables, Satellite. This company's going to go out of business or this company just bought, you know, five trailer loads of our stuff. They got a bunch of old stuff. So they have been really, really supportive knowing that they're helping the business as a whole. So do you build trucks also, Curtis? We sell full trucks. So they, when they buy new trucks, they got to sell their old trucks, right? And a lot of them do not want to buy an old truck unless it's been checked out, gone through. So that's exactly what we do is we buy their old trucks, we check them out, we refurbish what needs to be done, and then we send them off for their next market they're going to take care of. And we always take the stuff out of the market. That's another big one, right? With David, he didn't want to see any of those toilets get popping up in somebody else's area right around him. So yeah. my goal is exactly. I take them and ship them to somewhere else where they'll never be seen again by those individuals. I so there's you. no no confusion that they're still around. I got a gentleman that I sold a pump truck to, and he got it uh, repainted and all cleaned up and all lights on it. It just looks amazing now. And you just see the pride of ownership and things like that. He's so excited about it. A lot of my business ends up being logistics, right? trying to get these items to the people that need them from the people that don't want them. And a lot of these providers are great at keeping their inventory new and clean and tidy. And others are like, hey, I can't get any new ones, right? I've talked to four or five providers today 
they all said they, they had back orders at Polly John. They had deliveries that were supposed to be there here two weeks ago, and they're back. They're still back ordered. It's it's a tough situation, even if you got money, right? So, Curtis, if you look at that honey bucket example, I know they just acquired a couple of businesses in Texas. How long typically in that acquisition process does it take them before they swap out all of those other wrong colored units for the traditional honey bucket? What we see is two things. One, those they've got a long-term set, the leaf set there for a long time. Those that are, I would say, transient units, you know, the ones that are going in and out all the time, short-term rentals, those are the first ones to get swapped out. So that they want that, you know, that spread out of a, of a, a very few. And then, and, and we saw this here in the Denver area when um, United Site Services came in and bought everyone out. They bought like eight, six or eight different companies along the front range here in Colorado. And so Super Bowl and, you know, all of the different providers and the small ones. And they, they literally, I've seen them where they'll haul them to the, to the dump. And you're like, that is the last thing you should do. A, they last forever with a little repair. And it's just one of those sad things where you're like, this is just bad for the environment. At least grind them up and recycle them. And that's really the, the long-term goal. Because honestly, most companies can't afford to buy that larger quantity but they need 100, they need 50, they need 20, right? And so that's what I do. I parse it out to the right, at the right level to the right individuals to supplement what they do need because they could never go and buy the huge quantity. And that's where I'm uh, making my specialty, right? That ability to take all the inventory they've got and then separate it out by where, who, where it needs to go. Curtis, I'd love to feature some of the audio from today, if you're willing, in this week's podcast because I'm talking about the challenges that restroom operators are facing post-COVID, where the supply chain's dried up, demand's really high, there's lots of new entrants, and it's a real war out there at the moment for people to get the right units in the right place. If you're amenable, I'd love to chop some of the audio from this conversation into that. Absolutely, Pete. And I think that, you know, one of the biggest things we're finding is last year, a number of companies went out of business, right? It was a tough year. And if they didn't have the capital to sustain themselves, and when they went out of business, a lot of them just have that stuff sitting now. Yeah. don't know what to do with it, right? And so, again, I, I want to help them out. If they're going out of business and they don't have a book of business, they just have assets to, to get rid of. It's a great way to deal with it. Jerome, if you know other truckers that will move trailers, move small equipment, and you create sort of the Jerome business of the network of truckers, Curtis already said earlier when I said you were a, a trucker, right? Yeah. And, and yep. you know trucking backwards and forwards probably better than anyone in the room right now. You could create a situation that gives Curtis a service to move the units that need to be moved. And this is a great example, Jerome. I have to deal with a different driver that's never hauled portable toilets every time I do it because I uh -huh. go to the load, load boards. They will take anything, right? They're flatbeds. Yep. They'll haul anything. But they don't mm -hmm. know how to haul something that's so big, so light, and could be damaged. So I have to go through and educate the driver. How do you strap it down? How do you not crush it? We're usually really flexible on, on the transport. It's just all about uh, we would rather have the stuff taken care of, right? Last thing you want to do is buy it, and then it get you know crushed on the way to you. And you're absolutely right, Curtis. They're not the easiest things to transport. A, they don't weigh anything. And B, if you put a plastic skid on a steel deck on a truck, they move. It's a real challenge moving them from A to B. And at a 70-mile-an-hour crosswind from Texas and Arizona, New Mexico, 
we sometimes see some incredible uh, microburst. And if, if they're not secured down properly, they are all over the road. And then you really got a mess. I'm sad to say I've lost a toilet from a trailer. It was one where it was held in with rails over the skids and we'd swapped from satellite to PJs and they're a different size base. And one of them came loose, the door flapped open in the wind, the toilet started to move front and back and the next thing it flexed and popped out of the skids. And man, we're lucky it didn't hit anybody. Could have been a disaster. Yeah, there's the real problem is, is it becomes a projectile. You've got to carry it safe. And honestly, if I had my choice, I would have them all tarped. You know, because again, once you tarp them, now everything stays together under the tarp. And it's that's one of those things that a lot of folks, when you get a 48 foot or, you know, 40, 48 foot trailer, the last thing they want to do is tarp it. But boy, it, it sure makes a difference when it's one unit together, right? And one of the things that people don't realize is that the units themselves can come loose from the base. So if you only secure the base, the problem is, is that used unit lost a couple of screws along the way or has had some work done to it, that entire wall unit can come separate from the base. Most of them are only held in with tech screws or rivets. The construction exactly. is really flimsy. They're meant to stand on their own, not to be hauled at 80 mile an hour down the highway. So, Curtis is a good guy, and Curtis is offering value to so many people. You're definitely up there, Curtis. The one thing that Get Flushed has done is brought together people like yourself and Dave and Tina and Wendy and people who have got a, a tremendous appetite and enthusiasm for the industry and a willingness to share. And I've said it time and time again, I can't think of many other industries where people collaborate as freely with their competitors as we do in the restroom world. The nice thing is, is we love to, to be supportive of our, of our competitors outside of our market. In the market, it gets a little more heated. I was on the conference this week and they were talking about the whole, you know, the cost of trailers. One of the things they brought up was the sublease. You can't have enemies if you need to sublease trailers, right? You need people around you that are willing to work with you. So you can't make enemies. No, you've got to have friends. Yeah, you've got to have friends. And, And it's a small industry and the same people appear in all of those Facebook groups and they follow me on Twitter and Instagram and they listen to the show And our message consistently has been, you've got to work with people on good terms. You can't try and beat everyone on price. That's a a lunatic's approach, just to be the cheapest in the market. And you can't out-muscle anybody. You've got to work together because sometimes, you know, you just can't do the job on your own. And a great example of that this week, Dave, was Roy at Texan for the PGA. Yes, yes. And that's the thing is, is there's the difference between those that want to take advantage of people and want to do everything themselves. I want to help bring the business forward and get more people. How big's the company, Curtis? Can you tell us a little bit about the organization? We're pretty small. I've got a couple of folks that help me with the logistics. A lot of what we do is just let people know, hey, we've got stuff. What do you need? How many do you need? When do you need them shipped? All those different things. We make sure they have quotes. We make sure they have access to financing. So anything they buy from us, they can finance. We have a whole lending group of companies that compete for their business, and then they get to choose who they want to use. So we've already got that set up, and every single thing I sell can be bought direct from us. They can be financed into a simple monthly payment, which is great in these you know tough times, right, while they're after coming off a tough year, like last year, business might be booming, but the cash isn't flowing yet. So how long have you been doing this in this particular guise and role, Curtis? 
About two years. It's been something that actually I've been doing on a regional basis, but not been doing on a national basis until last year. And last year with the COVID issues, I saw the opportunity that my market, which got bought up by United Site Services, they also came in and bought all the trash services in our area. So all the small trash providers, the roll-off guys, they literally came in and bought Colorado. And the guys are like, I can't turn it down because I'll never get a retirement like this in a single check swipe. So you got you got to understand the small businesses did the right thing. The bad news is they fired almost all the employees right away. They got rid of all the stuff and the customers got mad because they became a monopoly. And when I saw that, I saw that, that this need was greater than just Colorado. And so that's where what really pushed us to go national. And our goal is to eventually include uh, all of North America so that we can service Canada as well. But we're not there yet, but we're definitely moving that way. And we're looking into potentially in the future moving into the roll-off area, because if you look at any of the roll-off groups, they have the same problem. I need containers here. I've got too many containers. I need to sell them. I need to buy them. The logistics part of it alone is a huge thing because roll-offs are huge and heavy. The septic business, the toilet business, and the roll-off, you know, the trash business are so tightly integrated, right? It's waste management as a whole, right? So, so many people have wear different hats. In the morning, they may go pump septic. The afternoon, they're cleaning toilets. And in the evening, they're picking roll-ups off. And so that's our goal is to eventually expand the business to all of those different sectors. How do people get hold of you, Curtis? Crabberking.com is the best way. You can uh, leave a note there. We've got a contact page. You can also reach me at direct 720-999-3585, or you can hit us up at crapperkingco at gmail.com. Excellent. Well, it's really cool that you joined us today. I'm, I'm really grateful. The sanitation conversation on Clubhouse was totally unscripted, and it took place after I'd recorded the first half of this week's podcast. I've never met Curtis and we've never spoken before he joined the room in Clubhouse, but I'm really struck at how well his comments matched in with what I set out to cover in this week's show. It was a real pleasure to meet Curtis and I'm sure he'll appear on the podcast again. In fact, he's already agreed to join in the next edition of the Sanitation Conversation, which we've scheduled for Sunday afternoon in the US. If you'd like to listen in, ask questions or share your experience and ideas, you'll need an iPhone because the Clubhouse app is only available on iOS. And if you're already using Clubhouse, just follow me or click on the link in the notes for this week's show. If you'd like to join, send me a message on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and I'll try to arrange an invite that will let you sign up to use the app. And if you can't make it on Sunday, our regular sanitation conversation will take place on Wednesday evenings from 7.30pm. Before I sign off, I'd like to remind everyone to please tell their family, friends, colleagues and strangers all about Get Flushed and encourage them to listen in. And if you visit our Patreon page, Patreon slash Get Flushed, a modest monthly donation will get you early access to the show and bonus material that's not available elsewhere. Failing that, remember to follow or subscribe to the show on your podcast app so you get the next episode delivered direct to your device as soon as it's released. Once again, thank you for joining me today. I've been Pete and you've been listening to Get Flushed, the sanitation podcast. <laughs>